G'day all, welcome to the Hardly Adequate Podcast. My name is Desi and I'm also the current co-host for the Forensic Focus Podcast. We're continuing on with our human interest and this week I'm joined by Carter Smith who is one of my old friends from uh, CyberCX and he's a pen tester. So we're getting a bit of a different perspective uh, this week on different career path. But uh, welcome Carter, thanks for joining me. Hey mate, thanks for uh, thanks for having me. All right. So first up, when we uh, chat to people on the podcast, we always like to get an idea of their just typical day to day in their role that they're doing. So why don't you take us through just an, a normal day for you at the moment? Yeah, thanks. Um, so like you mentioned, I'm a I'm a pen tester. Um, that's pretty much what I've been doing for the last four or five years. Um, you know, look, looking to get into into networks and um, you know attack applications and sometimes uh, sometimes people. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's really interesting because you're, you're the first pen tester that we've had. We've spoken to a few people now and, and they're either in SOC or, or DFIR. So um, I'm sure the listeners will be super keen to kind of get your career history and your insight to, to where you are now. What was the, the job before you were in the cyber industry and what sparked your interest to get into, I guess, pen testing and if that's what you did at the start? Yeah. So uh, before I had had this job, um, I was a barista. So <laughs> nice making making coffee. Yep. Uh, I used to work for my parents in my parents' restaurant. Um, but on the side, I, I used to do a bit of um, web development, you know, throughout the end of high school and um, and, and after. So a bit of bit of IT, bit of uh, I suppose you could call baristas a bit of a consultant, <laughs> um, yeah. talking to people, you know, taking orders and stuff. Um, but yeah, very not technical was my main job. I guess a bit of tinkering in the background. Was there any kind of like technology in the your parents' business that you were helping out with and that kind of also sparked an interest or was it just pure in your own time, just interested in this kind of thing? Yeah, like I'd, I'd studied IT throughout school. Like I was very lucky that the school I went to had a really good IT teacher. He was like a ex software developer. Um, you know, he, I think they started IT topics from like year eight or something like that. So I did it from year eight to year 12. And, um, yeah, that sort of sparked my interest. I, earlier on, I was like, I want to be an engineer. Like I, I really enjoy like electronics and hobby electronics and stuff. And then, um, I saw the maths that was involved and I can barely count past my fingers. So. I was like, I'm not going to do any, no chance of doing calculus and stuff like that. So then I was like, I'll do psychology because mm-hmm. I like, I really enjoy people and, uh, you know, fascinated how, how humans work and how the brain works and stuff like that. And then, um, in year, year 10 or year 11, uh, we had these like teach. they were, they were one of our teachers, uh, they were like career counselors they called them so you'd sit down with them you know year 10 was like the pivotal moment to determine whether you like chose the right topics that were prerequisites for year 11 and 12 and stuff like that for your uni and so forth and i was like i'm going to do psychology and um the teacher i had like i had her for for ages she's like no nah, you're not you're choosing it and i was like no nah. like, i'm interested in this and they're like i'm not going to be happy with you unless you choose it and i was like all right i'll think about it <laughs> and um yeah uh, i ended up choosing it but i found a 
criminology and cybersecurity degree. It's like a dual dual degree. Uh, but I ended up dropping the criminology part because it was just like, I don't know, a bit too much writing. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the lecturers are a bit interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's interesting. It, it's one of the, the later questions we normally ask about like what you wanted to be when you're a kid. And like, I know I was thinking about being an astrophysicist. I think just cause like I watched some sci-fi TV show and someone was like an astrophysicist. I was like, that sounds yeah. awesome. But then the same thing, there was just like way too much math involved that was very conceptual and i was like yeah i'm i'm good at the practical things and i'm not not so good at the i can't see it so i can't understand a thing yeah it's interesting one of my mates is just um like just finishing up like a mechatronics degree which is very similar to what i wanted to do and uh he's showing me some of the maths and it just absolutely reaffirmed my choice (laughs) (laughs) i so so i did mechatronics i i didn't mind it it was very practical based math um yeah which was all right but yeah there was a lot of theoretical stuff that that i never use um and you would need to be in a very niche industry to use it but i i just like tinkering with the little robots that was what was fun for me i love like working out how things work so like countless times when i was a kid i'd have toys and then like three weeks later they're in pieces (laughs) um yeah and it's the same with electronics i'm like i'm fascinated how things work and i suppose it merges into what i do now um you know you you kind of like have to understand how something works to be able to break it yeah which i think is one of the challenges in this um i suppose vertical of the industry is you know you're testing an application that you may have never seen before like it could be completely different technology you know one week you might be testing an app that i don't know you book car rentals or whatever and the next week you're testing an app that i don't know interprets results from a pathology test or something like you know it's completely polar opposites and they they work in completely different ways Mm -hmm. and generally you have absolutely no idea how it works (laughs) or what it even does yeah you end up working it out because a lot of the time it's ultimately like say web apps for example Mm. whilst like the app might do something different ultimately at at a lower level it works no different to every other app in the way it handles user input. There's always a database. There's always a web server. There's always, you know, a cache or some form and stuff like that. Like there's fundamentally like a tax target, more lower level stuff. You know, you're not looking at that pre- presentation layer. Mm. So yeah, it's definitely a, a common theme amongst most people that I've spoken to and, and even myself is that problem solving mindset, like no matter mm. where you are, you're interested in solving problems and pulling stuff apart and getting to the bottom yeah. of how it works. No matter where you are in the industry, it's um, having that trait, I think is a yeah. common one that we all have. Yeah, and like analytical thinking and, and logical thinking, like logically thinking a way through how, I don't know, something handles input to how it ends up in the database or things like that. Um, you know, especially like if you look at like internal networks, it's lots of, you, you don't just exploit one thing and it's over. Like, you know, it's, you exploit one thing and pivot from there to somewhere else and there to somewhere else and there to somewhere else. Yeah. And like being analytical and, and, and logical in the way that you try to get from, you know, objective A to X. Mm, mm. I want to go back to when you first started. So you're a brewster, interested in IT, 
kind of tinkering with stuff, had a, had a bit of a school background. The jump that you made from being a barista to being a pen tester is what I want to dive into now. So you had some IT skills, but and you had a good teacher uh, at high school, which is really helpful. Where did you go from there? Like, did you have other mentors? What other courses did you do? What kind of self-study uh, did you undertake to then make the jump from where you were into being a pen tester? Yeah, so I was really lucky to find um, a really good boss early on. Um, you know, you, you obviously know I'm Alex. Yeah. Um, so it's really funny how I suppose that all happened is when I was working at my parents' restaurant, um, there was a, a bloke named Rob. He was a salesperson for a different company around the corner. Um, he used to come in all the time and we got to know each other. And we, we talked and stuff like that. He's a very um, personable person. And uh, one day he comes in and he's like, oh, I'm saying goodbye. I'm, I'm moving um, from this place to, to, to a company called Diamond Cyber. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's really cool. I'm, I'm interested in cybersecurity. Um, you know, I, I enrolled in a degree in cybersecurity and I was like, you know, uh, I'm keen just to, just to check stuff out. And uh, I don't know, the next day or whatever, he, he came in and he was like, oh, can I have your, your email address? And I was like, yeah, sure, no worries. And then, I don't know, about a week or so later, I was sitting down eating eating tacos with um, Alex and Rob. <laughs> and uh, we were just talking. And I was like, you know, I, can I do some work experience or something like that? And uh, we looked into it. And the degree that I was doing didn't actually have a work experience component in it. And um, it's really interesting in Australia, you, you can't do work experience without having a work experience component in a degree or as part of school or something like that, because it's to do with like modern slavery or whatever. Right. And um, so what happened, I was like, just let me sit in your office. I'll just like learn through osmosis and, you know, just do my own study or whatever. So for about five months, uh, so the restaurant was open from Tuesday to Sunday and uh, so I had Mondays off. So every Monday I'd go into the, into the office, sit there, just listen, um, do, do a bit of uni work and stuff, ask some questions. And then um, after about four or five months or something like that, uh, they were like, oh, hey, we're looking to expand um, South Australia. Do you want a job? And I was like, yeah, that sounds <laughs> good. And um, yeah, the rest is history. That's super interesting about that, uh, your comment about modern slavery, because I think it was recently with like rising cost of living in Australia, there was a, a news thing about how some degree programs have unpaid internships for apparently like a year or two where people still have to do like full-time uni work and do this like internship. Mm. So it's kind of ridiculous that you can't just go and get it yourself when these programs make you do it anyway. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Like obviously it's there to protect people from being exploited, but like I was the one who was like, I want to do this. Like I'll, I, I will, you know, do work experience for free. Um, whereas if it's the other way around, you know, eyebrows might've been raised. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, but it's like, I, I agree with it. Like, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of businesses that would export. Yeah. That. Yeah, definitely. It's just funny because uh, it seems like it's being abused now anyway. So yeah, either way yeah. it's being going to be abused. Um, it's just how, yeah. how industries go about it. 
Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, like like you mentioned, you look at you know two years of work experience in as being a nurse or whatever. You know, you're working crazy hours, mm. not getting paid for yeah. it, and um, and you've got to work on top because you know your rent's gone up two hundred bucks. Yeah, and yeah, your weekly weekly shop's gone up a hundred bucks. Yeah, stuff like that. Because I I think back to my degree, like I did, um, engine engineering was one of my bachelor's degrees and I had to do three months worth of work experience, um, which was classed as a single subject. So not like a semester. And I still had to do my three other subjects that semester. And your internships were usually pretty much full time. Um, and I was lucky cause I was with defense at the time. So they got me a spot and paid for it. Um, but a lot of my friends like, had to move back home or, or struggled through it. And then I can't even imagine yeah. going through uni doing it now. Um, that would be horrible. Uh, yeah. And it was a, it was a requirement for the degree. Like back then you couldn't get out of it. It was, if you don't yeah. do this, you don't pass your third year. I'm keen to like dig into your, your uni degree. And how did you find that that helped you in your work experience? And then to move into the pen testing role, like, did you find a lot that you could transfer over or was it more general knowledge like some degrees that you do it's kind of giving you a skin deep view of a lot of things um but how did you find it yeah so i got like i ended up having that job uh the end of my first year of my degree um and the first year is just general like it topics and then I, i like in my first like week of my job i'd learned more than what i'd learned in my degree so like after working it quickly became irrelevant i i got to a point where i just like i stopped i stopped doing it yeah um and i was like oh yeah i'll just i'll come back to it and uh, this year i've like picked up the last couple topics of <laughs> nice. it. nice yeah because i just like you know i'm like what's what's the point when i've got all this knowledge from working mm. um you know why add extra you know burden mm. on myself of you know, like I'm, I'm pretty busy as it is. Yeah. Um, you know, just for a piece of paper. Yeah. So I like, it's very interesting. Like, you know, you look at a doctor, doctor's job, you have to have a degree. Yeah. Like there is no, no way you can have that job without. Whereas I feel like this industry, like I, I actually don't think you need a degree as long as you've got, you know, like I, I think there's more value in doing certifications and stuff like that than there is in doing a degree. Like I found value in my degree like you know doing the networking topics and stuff like that because yeah. uh, that gave me a good basis uh for learning that generally degrees are you know not not kicking um lecturers and stuff but generally the content in like cybersecurity topics are outdated or inaccurate yeah lots of these topics you know you're not consulting with industry and stuff like that yeah it's hard enough for people who are in the field to stay up with current trends, like let alone being mm. a lecturer that's full time with their own research topic, like, and their research topics will be very niche and yeah. uh, narrow field. So they'd be really up to speed on the cutting edge of that. But there's so yeah. much happening in our industry, like you said, across all the different technologies that may pop up that you're testing. So you can understand why a generic bachelor's degree falls behind quite quickly. Yeah, hundred mm. percent. Which is interesting. Like, I, 
so I live in Darwin these days and uh, I I teach a couple topics at like Charles Darwin Uni mm-hmm. uh, for cybersecurity, a sort of web app testing topic last semester and this semester it's like a network testing topic. Uh, but the lecturer is actually really like progressive in the sense that, you know, uh, he really wants to work with industry to bring in people from industry to be able to, you know, tutor and teach and contribute to the topic. Yeah. Um, which is awesome. Like it's, it's, it's the best outcome for a student that you can get yeah. is having, you know, relevant people talk about relevant things. Yeah. And um, I had a bit of creative freedom in the tutoring I did last semester mm. where he's like, Oh, just, just, just teach what, like, as long as it aligns to, you know, the, the subtopics, just, just teach what, what you think mm. makes sense. Mm. Yeah. I'd sit there on the, on, on a Sunday or whatever, come up with my, um, you know, slides for, talking about sql injection or whatever mm-hmm. and then you know run some labs and stuff like that yeah um yeah it's like it's pretty awesome yeah like pretty awesome to see a a lecturer do that because that takes a lot of trust yeah yeah um, and i guess it's finding the intersection of people who are technical and can teach because i think that's across all industries is not everyone who is really good at doing something can impart that knowledge it's a a skill in itself and like i like i've seen you like we did some high school um stuff where we went and taught some kids yeah. and the way you explain to someone who might not know as much is really good like you can go down to their level to get get the basics and i think some people struggle with that so it's it's that balance as well of finding people in the industry that can do that yeah absolutely and i, I struggled that struggled with that uh during the last semester of of teaching it was like the topic didn't have it didn't have any prerequisites or anything mm-hmm. like that. So you had a whole wide range of people in that yeah. topic, and um, you know some people who have never seen a web app developed or things like that before. You know, like I was fortunate because obviously I, I did some web dev uh, and had had a bunch of experience in web development. So you have an understanding of how apps work, yeah, and like I suppose the fundamentals of that, and. Uh, you know, I'm explaining like what SQL injection is and they're like, what's an input field? <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, it's like, it's interesting and you have to really like, you know, go down to like the nth degree of, you know, explaining sort of from the start how things work. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. And I think it's something that the listeners can take away is like, if you're in a class and you don't understand something, like even if the class does have prerequisites, and it's said all the time. Like if you've got a dumb question, ask it because more more than you in the class will have that same question. And that's like completely fine. Like if you don't know what an input input field is, like it's something basic that can be explained. Um, but yeah. you need to ask the questions or, or even if you can sit there and you've got a laptop, like Google it while the lecture is going on. And, and then if you still don't understand yeah. it, then ask that question. And because um, yeah, like it, I've done plenty of certifications over my time where there's like, they assume the background of the reader and there's stuff that I come across and I've, I've been in the industry for like eight years now and it's still basic stuff, but you never come across it because it's just like not been in your field of view. Um, and mm. people take it for granted because they see it every day. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. There aren't, they're like, there are no stupid questions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, there, 
I, I will say there is stupid questions, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, if you, I think if you've done your research and it's you can't answer it yourself, or you're just not getting the the concept, then it's okay to ask. But if it's just like, like I, oh, absolutely. yeah, like if it's something that's yeah. Googleable and it has a definition, like that's when I'm like, like I'll tell students to go Google it first because it. I think that's a skill set in itself is. Uh, self-efficiency yeah self-problem solving to to go sort it out um yeah 100 yeah and i always say that as well like you know we're all busy yeah and uh can't can't spend the you know i got two hours to teach this stuff this specific topic or whatever Mm -hmm. you know i can't can't spend 30 minutes explaining you know an input field i don't know what an input field is but it's like if you can you know first step google it second step us you know your peers Third step, no, I really don't understand this. Can you explain? Yeah, it? yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, it's funny. It takes me back to um, before I got into engineering, I did a intro to programming. I think it was like I did Python and C in like my second year of uni. And yeah. I, I had a, a lecturer. She was awesome. But she, she had this uh, teddy bear that sat at her desk. And mm-hmm. she would always say, if you've got a question and you don't know how to how to solve it go back and read the question again google it and then you had to go up and ask the bear the question first because her thing was like when you ask it out loud usually you have an epiphany because she was like so many students come up and start asking me a question and then get it yeah so you had to go and talk to the bear first which you felt so stupid doing at the start but everyone started (laughs) doing it but there was so many times when people would ask the bear the question then go oh i'm gonna go try this thing and it would work and it was um it's something that like I, like I still do at home when I'm doing stuff. Like I, I'll say the question out loud on what I'm trying to solve. And usually that clicks something or I go, Oh, I can go research this, this thing and try and solve it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, um, I think you build that over time as well. Like, um, you know, people ask me, what did I get out of doing OSCP? Mm. And I was like, like the content was good, but I did the old version in 2019 or whatever. Yeah. And so it was a little bit aged. It was a little bit aged. Yeah. Um, but the most value I got out of it was being able to like repeatedly think through a problem. Yeah. There's like 50 something labs or whatever. Yeah. You know, you build up a methodology of I do this, then I do this, then I do this. Mm-hmm. Oh, that doesn't work. I'll search this. And like you just, I don't know, build a build a way that works for you that you can like solve problems. Mm. You know, like I'll, I'll try this. I know these things, I'll try this, then I'll ask someone or I'll Google it or yeah. things like that. Like just like repeatedly doing that, you get better and better and better. Mm. Um, and yeah, like, yeah, you build up, you build up your own professional toolkit of, of what you do yeah. and how you approach different problems. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. So still going back to your pre-cyber self, is there anything mm-hmm you would say to them that you think would help now or you were you kind of pretty happy with your transition into cybersecurity? Because yours is quite, uh, I, I guess, like everyone's journey is unique, but you kind of like had an interest, had started a degree and had just like were chatting to people and put yourself out there to do that kind of non-official work experience. Yeah, like I, um, I don't know, like I'm pretty happy with, the last five years of my 
of my uh, of my career. So I don't know if I change anything. Mm. You know, um, I'm sure there's probably plenty of things. Maybe if you ask me the same thing in five years' time, I'm sure there's plenty of things I'll say. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I'm pretty content at the moment. Yeah, oh, that's good. And so, what areas, like through your journey, like pen testing is your main one, but where else in cyber do you see yourself that you've worked in? So, like DFIR, GRC. Like, do you think that you've worked in anything else or had interest in those kind of things? Or for you, it's just been kind of focused on pen testing? Yeah, early on, it was pretty much just focused on pen testing. Mm -hmm. Um, But since moving up to Darwin, um, you kind of have to wear like every hat. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, because like, you know, you you build relationships with clients. They're like, oh, we, we want you to do some work. And then it's like, GRC work or something like that, or you know, you have knowledge and understanding of a client. You're like, yeah, I'll, I'll help do that mm. um, and stuff like that. So yeah, I've done some GRC work. Um, I've done some like network and infrastructure uh, stuff, uh, like architecture stuff and things like that. But um, yeah, like I think as you progress in being a consultant and um, as you like, you know, move up, you can't just like silo yourself. Um, you know, like absolutely there are, there are plenty of people that in, you know, who are pen testers that have only ever done pen testing and they're sensational at it. But I, I think like, at some point you hit a cap, like you can only be, you know, such a good pen tester or, or whatever. Um, I've done a couple of site roles as well, you know, being part of, um, you know, like security operations teams and stuff like that, which I, which is awesome. Like, it's such a good experience because, you know, prior to that, um, like, you know, I was a you know, pen tester. I'd, I, you'd write recommendations. You're like, yeah, uh, update this version of software or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's the fix. That's it. And then after doing this on-site stuff or, you know, being part of a operations team, you understand how businesses work and how teams on, on the other side work yeah. and uh, how enterprises and enterprise IT works. Mm. And you can really tailor your recommendations after that because, you know, it's not just as simple as update the software because, I don't know, a, a vendor for your system critical app only supports server 2003 or something like that. You know, it's add these mitigated controls or, you know, do X, Y, and Z you know, to make it a bit better, you know, it's not just update. Yeah. It's about kind of understanding the risk and then how you can change your recommendations to still resolve some of that risk and, and lower it, but it may not be update, which is your, your number one recommendation, but there might be other things you can do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, after doing that, you get an understanding of how clients interpret reports um, and, and what they do with that and, and stuff like that. So then you, what you do is you then, when you write your report, you read it as the client mm. and then, you know, it makes your reporting a lot better because you're writing in a way that you can kind of infer that they will read it. Yeah. Um, which is awesome. Yeah. Like this it's so good. So you're just to clarify there, like you're on site, you're part of like an internal team, like seconded to them. Yeah. For- yeah, a little bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was like six months or whatever. Um, yeah, nice. Uh, you know, answering alerts, doing firewall changes, mm-hmm. like stuff like that. Yeah. You know, reviewing 
reviewing architecture of new systems and, mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah, nice. What would you say that your favorite role to do in cyber has been so far? Like, is pen testing still your your main love, or have you like really enjoyed doing something else? Yeah, I think like I think my heart will always be in pen testing. It's what I started out doing. Um, I just you know there's I just get such a sense of satisfaction when you're finding issues in an application or an environment or whatever, and you deliver a, an awesome report, they're really happy and you've fixed a whole bunch of issues yeah. or, you know, identified a whole bunch of issues for them. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, I, it's interesting. Like there's obviously, you know, a bit of rivalry between the different areas of cybersecurity, you know, like, or, you know, GRC only write policy <laughs> and X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, but there's absolutely like, there's a need for every part in in an organization you know you you can't you can't you know properly configure a web server or whatever without a web server standard and Mm -hmm. a policy to go along with that and i think like grc is like the the foundation of cybersecurity in a business and then uh you know that that covers some aspects of it mm. and then you know yeah you need to look at it from a technical perspective because you might have a you know configuration baseline and you might implement it but you've got some dodgy third party to implement it and they've taken shortcuts yeah or you know you've missed the system or things like that you know so you need technical validation and um uh, yeah i don't know that's just I, I still find it interesting and i'm sure probably one day i'll be like i i'm sick of this but um yeah, uh, I'm pretty content, which is awesome. Yeah, so like pen testing is, while it's niche within cybersecurity, like it has its own, I guess, verticals within it. So do you have yeah. uh, like a particular love within pen testing, whether that's like web app, internal Windows domain, uh, like application pen testing? Like, is there something that you really enjoy within pen testing? Yeah, so uh a while ago it was like web app testing because i had obviously experience developing apps um you get good at testing apps when you know how they work and and how they're built and stuff like that uh but these days i'm really interested in like internal networks you know like windows yeah active directory environments and stuff like that because man like microsoft build vulnerabilities into their (laughs) (laughs) into their their platform it's not a vulnerability it's a feature yeah well it's in the it's in the documentation so it's uh it's not a vulnerability Um, and then I, I really enjoy thick client testing, which is like a lot of reverse engineering and, um, you know, decompiling mm-hmm. and, uh, debugging apps and stuff like that, uh, pulling them apart and seeing how they, they interact. And, you know, not 90% of the time it's like, there's, you know, passwords in the thick client that talk directly to a database and, and stuff like that, which like, it's always fun and always interesting. Yeah. I think I, I really like internal testing because it's, it really like exercises your analytical and logical thinking, you know, like you might identify a, I don't know, a user that has a specific attribute or whatever that, you know, might allow you to access something else. So you try to target that user and then, um, you know, you, you pivot from that user to a computer and then a computer to somewhere else and somewhere else to somewhere else. And then, um, you know, it's lots of like, I don't know if you've ever seen the tool Bloodhound, but it it's, does an awesome job of plotting out paths and stuff like that from X user to Z, Z group or whatever. 
Um, so yeah, I, I just find that really fun, just sitting there um, thinking my way through the problem, trying to you know target specific things and stuff like that. And it's even more fun when when you do it interactively with the blue team as well, because it's a bit like you know catch me if you can. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's always, it's I don't know, I just get so much joy out of it. It's mm. you sit there, spend the day trying to like exploit something might not work. Go home, have a think about it, do some do some research. There's like I think some of the best quality white papers I've read um, are on like internal domains uh, and Windows domains and stuff like that, especially from people like Spectre Ops and this bloke called Dirk Chan mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Like they just you know they're they're just pen testers and they have this such deep understanding of how Windows and Microsoft domains and stuff like that work. Mm. It's crazy. Yeah. And it's really cool. And it sounds like you enjoy the, like you started off in web apps, which is very singular technology focused. And now you've moved into this internal one where it's more human elements are playing because humans are configuring it and like interacting with the domain and that there's potential vulnerabilities and how people use that technology rather than, oh, you've just got this web app that someone developed and it's now, now sitting there. Yeah, exactly. Mm. There's a lot, a lot more at play, yeah. and um, you got stuff like uh, a yeah, internal testing is almost like you know hunting down domain admins. Yeah, you might have a <laughs> a domain admin that's logged into their workstation or whatever, and you, you're trying to pivot your way to that workstation to be able to get on and dump credentials from yeah. from that to then get a domain admin and stuff like that. So yeah, it's uh, it's fascinating, and there's also like no end of um, you know, different exploits and stuff yeah, or yeah. Active Directory. Yeah. And you've got all those different apps that plug into Windows as well that may cause vulnerabilities and yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, you know, you've got a Windows domain, but you might have a whole bunch of stuff like internal certificate services or you might have, you know, federation services where you can which is like the old version of like Azure AD and, and stuff like that. Mm. Um but yeah, it's 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 fascinating. And it, it's also like I kind of, I kind of find like web app testing. It's the exploits of vulnerabilities and stuff like that. At their core, is kind of pretty static. You look at like oh, what's the top ten and stuff like that. Mm. Um, you know, whilst new vulnerabilities might come out, you know, the attacks are, are generally the same. You know, mm. it's LFI that leads to XYZ or you know. Um, cross-site scripting and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Whereas you look at like Windows and internal domains, it's like, oh, there's a new exploit for, I don't know, uh, certificate services, or there's a new exploit for DNS. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it's totally different. So yeah, it like always keeps you on your toes. Yeah. I guess it's very apt uh, when you said hunting down domain admins and then using a tool called Bloodhound. Um, it kind of fits perfectly with what that tool is trying to do, find those pathways to get domain admin. Do you have any passion projects at the moment, whether that's cyber or otherwise, or does kind of work keep you pretty busy? Yeah, work keeps me pretty busy, um, but I like I'm I'm pretty interested in like open source intelligence. Yeah. Um, I'm like I'm, I'm really interested in it through work and doing stuff through work, and um, I was really fortunate that um, work work sort of facilitated me going on a, a TV show called Hunted. Yeah, a bit of, um, bit of a celebrity being on channels, <laughs> uh, channel 9? Channel 10. Channel 10, yeah. Yeah, a bit of a bit interesting. Yep. 
bit different using techniques and stuff like that we we use at work um but just in a, i suppose in a different context hunting down people mm. but yeah in like in my spare time whenever i have it generally on a on a sunday afternoon yeah um you know and uh you know using my background in web app test uh, web app development and stuff like that um i just like i just mess around building apps and services and stuff like that mainly for like my own use mm-hmm. and stuff like that you know i built a, a web app that you know you pump in people's name and email and stuff like that and it will generate like a digital footprint report uh on that person so information about them about them and accounts and stuff like that yeah mainly just for fun and a lot of the time i use it like i might see a new technology in an environment or something like that um and like i i'm a very like practical learner like i i could sit there and read a white paper but i'm not really going to absorb it unless i do it Mm -hmm. so a lot of this like side development and stuff that i do is all about you know i i see this new technology let's see if i can build something with it or build it into something i i've got um and uh yeah like building something seeing it and it's like oh that's how you configure this or this is what the admin side of it looks like or this is how you use that and then you know next time i see it in an environment i'm like yeah i know how that works mm. you know an example might be like something like elastic search like um you know play around with it at home um you know spin it up in the home lab or whatever and then you know get an understanding of how it works and then you know, bang, you see it in an engagement. Like, yeah, I know how to interact with that. I know how this works. Yeah. Do you have, like, with your projects, are any of them open source or just kind of, like, personal stuff that you're you're learning and developing yourself? Most most of the time it's personal. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I publish a couple of things every now and then, mm-hmm. but not, not really. Like, I don't have time to maintain <laughs> <laughs> open source repos and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I do like wherever I see fit. Like I, I contribute to open source projects and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and you know, open source libraries and tool chains and stuff like that. Yeah, because you know that's the whole purpose of open source. Like it's all well and good to use it, but you got to give back. It was interesting. I saw a statistic this morning. I, I think it was 128 billion open source projects on GitHub at the moment. So. Wow. There's just so much out there with, and like some of these projects could, could not be just like technical cyber stuff. There could be other things as well. Yeah, um, absolutely. But yeah, there's, there's so much out there and so much that probably drops off because people post it once and don't maintain it. Cause it was like uni thesis projects are often open source projects. Um, yeah. They just stop being maintained after that person graduates, but um, yeah, exactly. yeah, there's plenty out there. Oh yeah, there's uh, there's some really awesome open source projects out. Mm-hmm. So, what's your goal for the next six to twelve months? Uh, whether that's career wise or or other. So, like when when I knew you, um, we were both in um, South Australia at the time, but you've now moved up to Northern Territory. Um, where do you see yourself in six to twelve months? Yeah, it's a hard one. Like I, yeah, I think like after moving up here, building out like the region building a, a team and stuff like that. So, you know, in the next six months, it, it'd be great to have 
couple more employees up here. Mm-hmm. Um, it, really having a an actual team, mm-hmm. um, and that that'd be awesome. Uh, you know, career wise. Um, I suppose in the next, I don't know, the, the next thing for me, I reckon, is you know having having my own business or doing my own thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know whether it's consulting or having a bakery or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> a, a cyber bakery would be interesting. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. You know, I love my, uh, I love my breads and cakes. So yeah. Just get fat and consult. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the next year that I don't know exactly, but you know, just keep on, keep on, uh, keeping on and building out the region. Yeah. So you kind of, yeah, challenged at the moment by maintaining the region at the moment and, and looking to build that. So that's kind of your focus in the short to medium term. Yeah. 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 Uh, a lot of my, yeah, career goals and stuff like that is, yeah, make, make something of up here. Mm. Um, and, you know, who knows that might lead to moving, I don't know, further north. Yeah. Because I, I guess being Northern Territory for anyone that's overseas uh, listening is quite, Australia is very big, uh, but most of our population sits on the on the coast, um, mainly the East Coast. And Northern Territory is a big territory slash state, but it's not as populated as, as other states. And there's probably a smaller no, amount of industry uh, even in Northern Territory as well. Um, yeah, the population of NT is about two hundred fifty thousand. Yeah, which, if you look at it, is like actually like a quarter of Adelaide. <laughs> yeah, Ad- Adelaide's uh, also a small tiny. country city. Um, yeah. So I think Adelaide's one point three mil. Yeah, and like population of Sydney is five point three mil. In that was twenty nineteen, so it's probably gone up from there. But yeah, yeah. for perspective of what all of Northern Territory is. Um, quarter of a mil is is quite small. Yeah, which is crazy considering it's like probably second biggest geographically. Maybe uh, I think it'd be third. It'd be like WA, Queensland, Northern yeah. Territory. Um, yeah, yeah. But again, like Queensland's very populated down in like the southeast part, and then yeah. up north is essentially the same as Northern Territory. There's uh, there's less people up there. Too many, way. too many crocs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the population, the biggest, population like, of Crocs is really high. Yeah, well, the biggest culture shock for me uh, moving up here was, like, Adelaide has some really nice beaches, mm-hmm. and, you know, on you know, summer and that, really enjoy going to the beach. And, um, you know, the worst, the worst that happens is you might get bit on the toe by a crab or something in the sand, but you actually can't swim at the beaches here. Yeah. It's full of, full of saltwater crocodiles. Yeah. Or... Um, Jelly, like box jellyfish yeah, and stuff. Yeah, and I think the saltwater ones are the, the more aggressive. Um, oh, they're they're scary as they like grow up to like six meters or something. Yeah, yeah. They're huge. You can swim with freshwater crocodiles because they just eat bugs and they're scared of people. Yeah. Um, but salties are carnivores yeah. and yeah, probably pretty uh territorial as well. I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, so they're always pulling them off the beaches and <laughs> it's crazy after the wet season. Oh yeah. Like cra- crazy rains in wet season. Yeah. And, um, you know, they're pulling them out from like kilometers and kilometers inland because uh, <laughs> they make their way through like different water systems yeah. and stuff. 
It's crazy. Yeah, it's weird the kind of mental state you'd have to be in in, in that place. Is like you're you're out after wet season. You're like, all right, I got to watch out for saltwater crocs. Yeah, well, the government's actually really good at like being croc wise and stuff yeah. like that. They all the public or known well known uh, like watering holes and stuff like that. They go out and set traps and stuff. So even at the end of wet season, <clears throat> they'll still have you know three weeks, four weeks. Well, like that, they'll be officially closed. Mm. And, uh, you know, while they're doing surveys and putting out bait and stuff like that, yeah. um, to try to work out if there's crocs there. Yeah. Yeah. That's super interesting. We're almost at the end, but want to cover off on what you do to unwind. So you mentioned you might open a bakery one day. It sounds like you like to bake. What, what other stuff are you into, uh, or hobbies that you have? Yeah. Uh, I, I obviously really like cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, the cooking's good to unwind. Um, I don't, interestingly, I don't really read. Yeah. Uh, haven't, haven't been a, like I'll read like technical docs and stuff yeah. like that, but you know, like you won't catch me dead sitting down with a, you know, fiction novel or whatever. You, you um, didn't read Dan Brown, his Da Vinci Code. Not a, not a fan of that. No. Yeah. That's fair. Nah, I've seen the movie. <laughs> I like movies. Um, but yeah, just like exercise. Um, but you know, I used to when I had time used to be into flying like RC planes and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. So do a bit of that, um, get out in the car, doing some pool driving. Mm. Yeah. I suppose Northern territory would be really good for that. Right. Like probably a lot of places yeah. you can go forward drive. Yeah. And you just got to make friends with the right people and they'll take you to the, all the good spots. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just like unwind, playing some games, sitting down, mm-hmm. smashing out some, some random code or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, uh, what, what's really nice up here is there's some really good markets on on the weekends. So it's great to sleep in a Saturday morning, go out to the markets, have some charcoal skewers or whatever. Yeah. Uh, get some fresh produce, mm. get some uh, sugar cane juice. Yeah. And just, um, yeah, just, just relax. Well, I guess because awesome. Northern, Northern Territory would be very, being a, a country town and country city like Darwin being a country city, it would be very community driven, I imagine, um, with such a small population. Yeah. Like, uh, what I did notice when I moved up here is everyone knows everyone. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So if you're moving up here, don't do anything wrong. Because <laughs> everyone, everyone knows. Yeah. It gets around pretty um, quick. And if you do well, everyone knows too, which is good. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's lots of like community stuff uh, around mm-hmm. and, and things like that. Um, what's awesome is like, is obviously very close to like Southeast Asia. Mm. Uh, and, uh, so there's lots of like Southeast Asian influence in, you know, food and culture and stuff like that here. Yeah. So a lot of the markets are full of like, you know, Asian vegetables and, um, you know, laksa and stuff like that. There's some, some specific places in specific markets where you've got to line up for hours to get their laksa and like, my God, it's awesome. Yeah. Do you get my, like, I actually don't know what the flight patterns are like out of Darwin, but do you get many, like, tourists from Southeast Asia coming through to the Northern Territory? Yeah, in the dry season, uh, which we're, like, getting close to the end of, um, there are a lot of tourists. A lot of the time it's, like, from boats. Yeah. Uh, so it's, like, cruise ships that come through. Oh, okay. Um, I haven't really seen too many, like, s- tourists from Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. Um Lots of people like the antique oven's pretty, 
um, supportive of like immigration to NT to obviously build out the economy and stuff like that. So um, it's kind of like right. close and the, and the landing pad for a lot of uh, people looking to immigrate into Australia. So it's a very like very multicultural city, which is which is awesome. Yeah, I like it. That's really cool. Um, yeah, I never I never really thought about it being so close, um, but I guess it makes sense because you get like a lot of uh, South Africans migrating to WA because it's the, mm. the closest place in Australia <laughs> to hit. Um, so yeah, I guess it makes sense yeah. in the Northern Territory for it to be Southeast Asia. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Well, you know, you, when it's on sale, it's like a hundred and sixty buck flight to. Uh, to Bali, so yeah. we hop over to Bali. Yeah, cheaper than flying anywhere else in Australia, probably uh, from Northern Territory. Oh, flights here are crazy. Like you know, you, um, you know, flight down to Adelaide this time of the year might be like eight hundred to thousand dollars or something like that, yeah. which, which is not much demand. So price is so high. It's interesting. Like they'll have a flight most days down to like Adelaide or Melbourne or something like that. But it's like one down or one up in the morning, one down in the afternoon or something like that. Yeah. Um, but interestingly, Darwin Airport is 24-7. Yeah, okay. Um, so you've got like, you know, real cheap 2 a.m. flights down to Adelaide okay. and stuff like that yeah. or yeah, to Melbourne and stuff, mm. um, which is pretty good. Saves a bit of money and, you know, like if you're flying down for work or whatever, mm. yeah, you get in at 6am straight to the office or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Just be a little bit tired. Yeah. Yeah. So to a half day. Yeah. So we're going to finish up with this last question and it's for our listeners, but what kind of recommendations would you make for someone that is outside the industry today looking to get in? Like, do you have course recommendations, kind of any traits that you would be looking for to yeah, I think the key thing is like having a willingness to learn. Like it's it's a industry and a job that like you were never not learning. Yeah. Um you know, it's it's quite different to some other jobs like um you know, like being a barista. You know, you you do your your course on how to make coffee and it generally doesn't change. Yeah. Um, there's not new uh coffee machines coming out every year. Or every three months. Yeah, or new, new ways to use them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I think having a willingness to learn, um, you know, showing, like, self, um, like self-motivation mm-hmm. or, like, you know, being able to do things yourself, um, you know, going and getting certifications or whatever. Yeah. Um, or, you know, showing evidence of, of learning and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I don't know, like personally, like, like skill is like pen testing or whatever can be taught. Yeah. Um, my like ethos is, you know, hire the person, teach the skills. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're, if you're shit into personal skills, that's not something I could teach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, obviously as you know, that's not something that you can change. Uh, not saying that I can't teach into personal skills. I think something like that is because it's personality based. It's something that's harder to teach quickly. Like you can, uh, yeah, you, can teach... well, you can't teach, you can't teach people. Well, you can't change people's core values. Yeah. Stuff like yeah. Like, Unless they um, really want to change those core values, but even that takes time, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, so I'd much rather have, you know, and especially like when you look at consulting, it's all about people. Yeah. So being able to interact with people, being able to be dynamic, being able to, you know, change the way you interact with people. Mm. Like, you know, you might have a meeting with one person they like to be talked to, or you like, they like to be interacted with in a specific way. And then 20 minutes later, you're talking to someone else and you've got to just completely change the way you act and talk and mm. what you talk about and stuff. Cause you know, you might have a client that's like super to the point only to only talk about work. And then you might have another client that's like, Oh, how's your son? Like, did he, you know, pass his baseball game or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, it's those interpersonal skills are super important, mm. especially if you're looking to get into consulting. Like if you're looking to, I don't know, be in operations or whatever and not have interactions with people. Absolutely. I'm sure you can, you can get, get through without having that yeah but but still that drive to constantly learn right like yeah uh, i think that's common no matter where you are in cyber yeah yeah exactly and i personally i think you know having an analytical mind logical mind thinking being able to think your way through a problem i think irrespective of what practice or area you're in in cybersecurity, i think being able to think through the problem or oh, what's the best for the client stuff like that you know, how, how do I solve this problem? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm sure you, you experience the same thing in, in differ. It's like, yeah. How have they got in there? You know, where's their persistence? Mm-hmm. You know, think like an attacker and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. There's, there's that overlap. Uh, and it, it's something that we've spoken about on the podcast before is you learn kind of the basis of pen testing because it's not machine driven, it's human driven. So, People are inherently lazy. So you learn like the lazy little steps that people do sometimes to get through. And usually that's where you find like their tool sets that they've left there or um, yeah, like yeah. a way that they've no, gone around to, to get in um, kind of thing. Yeah, no one's lazier than a pen tester. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's um, oh, what's the like IT thing? If you have to do it once, if you have to do it more than once, automate it kind of thing. And it, like, I yeah. feel like, like being in IT, it's that laziness of getting rid of the little jobs and doing shortcuts and to just get your job done. And it, yeah, I feel like yeah. that's attackers in general. Yeah. Yeah. I think as well, like it depends on the target, right? Like you can yeah. be lazy if, if it, if there's no, uh, you know, if there's no stress that you get caught. Yes. You yeah. Know, you might use, you might use signature tools. You might use signature techniques or whatever. Mm. Um, but then if you're, Conversely, if you're doing like a red team or something, you know, you be very careful with what you do mm. and, um, you know, be very smart with how you do things and stuff like yeah. that to avoid being caught. Yeah. But I think, I think that's the difference between pen testing and red teaming. Like they're, they're two separate services in that red teaming, you're adding in the component of operational security as an attacker, yeah. like you're trying not to get caught. Whereas pen testing, the point might be to be as loud as possible to see what the security stack is picking up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and I think like building in bits of that into your like pen testing is, is great because, and that like we've done a purple team engagement before and I found so much value in that because you get an understanding of like, you know, defender or CrowdStrike or whatever, and how it will um, detect specific things mm. and you might find gaps in that mm-hmm. and using those gaps, you know, later on or whatever, 
um, or you know, like getting an understanding of how an EDR might detect a specific exploit in a like low risk setting, and you can then use that information to then inform you know in a higher risk setting what how should I do this or yeah. should I obfuscate this or should I you know change the way this I don't know extracts credentials yeah. or whatever things like that. Well, that's always something in. As a defender, like if if I'm ever against a live actor, you're always thinking about like are they intentionally making noise to do something else quieter somewhere else? And it's yeah, especially when you're in an environment that does, might not have robust monitoring and detection capabilities everywhere. It's always in the back of your mind. You're like, is this intentionally trying to give us a false sense of hope that we found everything, or are they mm. on some back-end Linux web server that has nothing on it and they're exfiltrating a whole bunch of data um, quietly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. And um, I think that's like, that's the interesting thing about like, you know, the offensive side of security is like not messing with people, but, you know, when you're, when you know you're against the blue team or you know you're um, doing stuff like that, it's like doing that, you know, make noise here so you don't look here. Yeah. Yeah. It's competitive. Like that's it. yeah, exactly. It's cyber competitiveness. Like we, yeah. we probably see it more easily in those CTFs where you have like team against team. But in the real world, like when you're up against a live red team or a live threat actor, like it's that competitive nature of one team's trying to outdo the other. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Ah, that's cool. It's always good fun, mate. It's been awesome for you to join us and um, take part of your weekend to chat through your career and your pathway it's been really interesting and i'm sure one of the listeners out there will connect with it and uh hopefully get something out of it so just thanks so much for joining mate um it's been a pleasure no no worries thanks for uh thanks for the invite it's awesome no worries well nearly all of the content will be free but if you want to support then make sure you subscribe to the podcast and also subscribe to the youtube channel that's the biggest way you can help at the moment with growing my channel and reaching out to more listeners like you all the links will be in the show notes, for, but for a hub of all content, please head to my website, hardlyadequate.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you all later on.